Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of With Relish. We're recording live from the Fumbly Cafe as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival and the Fumbly's Eat It Autumn series of events. I'm actually lying a little bit, we're not really live. That's not exactly what we're doing. Yeah. We did do that. We did do that. But we had a gas uh, tech disaster. Um, that was rescued, both caused and rescued by the wonderful Ian. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Um, Ian had a nightmare. Ian had a nightmare for about 20 minutes uh, trying to get all the mics working um, and eventually did, but we missed out a little bit of the start of the recording. So So here we are back in the studio and we're just doing like a little doctoring on it. Yeah, Yeah. we're doing a little bit of a a stitch. So basically we want to tell you a little bit about what the show is about slash was about. Um, On the show, we wanted to take the theme of Irish food culture, which has been a constant since we began the show in April 2017, and expand it out to the four corners of the country. And I think the reason we want to do that is because we can be a bit Dublin-centric, I think. Very Dublin-centric. Completely Dublin-centric. Completely (laughs) Dublin-centric. Yeah, looking at you with eyes that are like, yes, absolutely. That was the problem was that that we are both from Dublin, live, work in Dublin, and maybe sometimes fail to look outwards. And so it was... It is essential to speak to other people about that and and hear from other parts of the country where there's really interesting things in food going on that maybe we're not like totally uh, in the know of. Yet. Yeah, exactly. We can kind of think that we're the centre of the unis- universe here and turns out that it's not actually true. And so, so, and so in, in that light, we should introduce everybody to the guests. Mm-hmm. So... Like we said, we reached out to people um, in the four provinces, the four regions of Ireland. Um, representing Munster, we have Sinead Garvey, who's the owner of the Cheese Press in Ennis Diamond, which is the only shop in the world that only sells Irish cheese. How about that? Um, before opening the Cheese Press, Sinead produced the award-winning St. Tullagoat's Cheese with her sister Siobhan in their 65-acre County Clare farm. I'm a huge fan of St. Tullagoat's Cheese. It is so delicious. So delicious. And then there's the, there's the ash St. Hill as well, which yeah. is just like dark green and scary and delicious. And delicious as yeah. well. What's the ash thing? We should have asked her. Uh, so. We should ask her sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know what it is? I No, I'm, I'm about to bullshit. Okay, do it. Flavour. Go. Yes, correct. <laughs> okay, moving on. Connacht. Um, and then from the west, I mean, Ennis Time is the west as well, but from the west, 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 from Connemara and representing Connacht, we've got Cleena Prendergast, who's a professional chef, a food writer, photographer for the Sunday Times. She's one half of Lens and Larder with Amon McDonnell. Since 2014, the pair have been curating photography classes and food styling workshops telling visual food stories in some of Ireland's most beautiful venues. And we also have Raymond McArdle on the show. Raymond is representing Ulster. He is the owner of the Ford restaurant in County Meath, but he was born and brought up on the County Down coast. Um, his passion for Ulster's food identity has stuck with him throughout his career. And he represented Ulster or Northern Ireland on the Great British Menu a couple of times, I think, that BBC show. So you might know him from the telly. You might know him off telly. I can't do Leeds accents. <laughs> <laughs> Finally representing Leinster and making his second with Relish appearance is Joe Macken. Joe Burger, Crackbird and Hey Donna, to name but a few, have been changing the landscape of how Dublin eats since 2007, giving birth to the fast casual craze that is so prevalent in the capital today. So we've asked all of our guests tonight uh, to prepare a little bit about where they're from. Food culture from the West, food culture from the North, food culture from the South, uh, and, and not pitch it to us, but Go on, pitch it to us. Yeah, tell us what it's all about. And here's what Kleena had to say about food culture from the West of Ireland. Uh, and in doing so, she's read a beautiful passage from the book Irish Life in the 17th Century by Edward McLeight. Well, I live in Connemara um, and that's where I grew up. Really what has formed the food culture there has been, you know, bad land, unfortunately. And so it has 
it kind of started off in a, a, a very poor place with very poor land and very difficult to grow crops. Um, however, there is a huge coastline there. So obviously seafood was always very big. And we have Connemara land, which we're all very famous for, um, which came later on to Connemara. But really, uh, I think what starts to form it is that we had the famine, which struck Connemara um, and Connacht really pretty terribly. And you wonder sometimes why, if they've had such a huge coastline with such rich shellfish, how they actually died or how it became so bad out there. And it's kind of because they sold their boats. They didn't have money for maintenance on their boats. So there was very little fishing done. And the boats would have been small. So they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gone out to deep waters. So that was very much a part of it. And then I suppose during that, then the morale was so low, you didn't really have the get up and go to do something new and inventive and and uh, it was all about survival and that's what the food has been about in Connemara it's all been about survival so you've got lots of boiling unfortunately but in that came a lot of nutrition you know so you might have you know your boiled hams and you know Irish stews and things like that butter was a huge thing um, and that's why you have the bog butter because they used to hide their butter because raiders would come in to steal butter I have this tiny little piece here to read um, only because it's quite funny and it's quite sad in a way but it's it's Tina I love reading on the podcast I'm so glad you're doing this Harry's like oh god she's got a book again no but I'm uh, yeah I'm not uh, I I hate reading aloud actually unless it's for four year olds well I'm welcoming it I love it but this book uh, I haven't read this whole book but I had heard this passage and a few other passages before and I thought it was um, I, I just liked it so she seats herself in the same posture as as when at the quern and with the churn between her legs and claps in her right arm almost up to the armpit. So she's using this as a, a, to churn the butter, which she has made use of instead of a churn staff. And as the milk flashed out of the vessel upon her thighs, she stroked it off with her left and into it again. Wow. This is a bad start, isn't it? <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> it's, it's extremely evocative. I love it. I'm there with her. <laughs> the, bu- the butter was not long in coming, nor do I wonder that Irish butter would smell as rank and strong if it had been made after the, in this manner. For surely the heat with which the labours the good wife put in must unavoidably have made some of the essence of armpit trickle down her arm and into the churn. <laughs> oh, natural. Wow. So that's where we came from. <laughs> <laughs> And we've come a long way. <laughs> so I'm wondering if that's where salted butter started. I doubt. Oh, gorgeous! <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, we also have this farmer that lives up beside us at home. Actually, he's he's just died recently, um, and my husband met him one night uh, coming up to Christmas time when he was taking a salmon from. No, actually, sorry, he didn't realise he was taking a salmon from a bog, but he said he was going to get the Christmas salmon. And Patrick said, Jesus, you can't eat salmon at this time of the year, you know, because it's it's um, it's spawning and it's not very tasty. And he said, no, 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 this is one we caught in March. And he couldn't figure out what was going on. So they buried the salmon in the bog as well um, and would take it out in March and it would preserve it and they'd wash it off and cook it for Christmas. Did you get a taste? No, I didn't ever get a taste of it, oh unfortunately. And, yeah. and I've never heard now. of anybody doing it since. Yeah, yeah. I'd be tentative. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but intrigued. Yeah. 
and Joe had this to tell us about what's going on in Dublin and the surrounding counties. I know you're a Dublin guy through and through, but as in currently, but if you can speak to Leinster a little bit about what's going on, because I think it's really... So we have everything yeah. in Leinster. None yeah. of this famine stuff, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, for me, I like we had a cultural famine in Ireland. Like It's like when our parents got mortgages. For, well, for me, you know, I grew up in this little village in Slane. When I was really small, you know, there was, they were catching salmon in the boyne. You know, people were... There was an abattoir in the village uh, all the vegetables came in the village we had two banks credit union supermarkets five shops and um, there was a brewery in the village a bottling plant uh, I'm only 40 and like yeah just 40 <laughs> 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 like only this week uh, no, but uh, so we had all this stuff and then really really quickly like as the country went mm, sort of money mad people like Feck that, you know, let's get me from Ica Kitchen in. I'm going to go to Quinsworth. I'm going to buy stuff out of a freezer. And I think that was a huge change in Leinster because in Leinster, we sort of have everything. You know, we're on the coast. We have every, we've grain to beat the band. We've meat to beat the band. We have sort of everything. But people change their minds and all of a sudden they want to get supermarket, supermarket produce. But that's then. But you can really feel now, Leinster, we have everything, you know. We're really trying to catch up with Munster and Connacht and Ulster, where I know Munster and Connacht are well ahead of us, you know, with all the organic farms and all, making cheese. I was down in West Cork there during the summer and, you know, the level of smog was unbelievable. I got, <laughs> I got West Cork Tabasco in a restaurant and they were like, no, no, it's our own Tabasco. And I was like, but oh. Tabasco comes from Avery Island in America. They're like, no, no, it's our own Tabasco. We robbed the chilies in the 70s uh, and we've had it since the 70s. In Dublin, I think we are coming around, you know, our Dublin and, and actually Lancer. Uh, for me, Lancer is amazing. The amount of stuff we can get in Leinster most of all our beef comes for the restaurants comes to the, from Leinster and we buy also the grains all around from Leinster we've got amazing um, all, our, all our bakeries all our, most of our suppliers and yeah. small suppliers are all uh, based in Leinster I um, just think it's the greatest at Larry so to live in that's why most people live here though I think do you know what I mean like most of the population has made the right choice and moved to Leinster and you know you can sort of like there is the odd person who's decided no I'm going to stay down the west they realise they want an education or university or a full time job that's in Dublin pull the mic Harry quick <laughs> pull the mic <laughs> uh, so no I think Leinster's great uh, so in a, I know I'm assuming we're like you know, of different areas and Leinster's really coming back we've all of a sudden you know there's loads of producers there's people who've been doing it for years you know making organic uh, growing organic food and making our, uh, beautiful cheese and stuff but now it seems to be everywhere you know you walk down the Boyne Valley there's a festival on every you know quarter of the year there is every village you go into now there is something happening there's farm villages farm yeah. shops you know there's growers baskets everywhere um, it's amazing and even though we're in the city, I think as to be as, as microcosm, every weekend there's markets and there's people bringing foods into the city centre. There's a market here in the Fumbly, um, you know, making amazing bread and vegetables and stuff. But it's unbelievable what's happening. And I think it is actually in Ireland altogether. You know, we've yeah, become, like, they are the whole country, you know, or, I know the government trying to coin orange and green, but the whole co- country is really becoming more food centric in some way. And this is what Sinead Garvey had to say for Munster. You can't mention history of food in Ireland without mentioning the famine. But what we don't learn in school is that uh, all the time where people were starving to death in Ireland, there was shiploads of food being exported to Britain. And that's something that, you know, so there was no sudden no food in Ireland. So we, it, it wasn't like we had a culture and then it stopped and then it continued. There was a food culture um, and somebody was producing that food. But unfortunately, they weren't being allowed to keep it. 
or sell it to local people. So um, I think that's a good myth to bust about the famine in Ireland, you know. I was talking to my mother this morning, so she's from a a farm in North Kerry, and they basically had all their own food. She's only 30 years older than me. The only things they bought were sugar, flour, and tea. They had all their own vegetables, all their own meat. She says she can still remember killing the chickens when she was about seven and putting her hands in to take all the stuff and the heat of the body of the chicken. She was just talking about that today and how her favourite time of the year was when they used to stab the pig. Don't ask me about my mother. <laughs> it's it's not my fault. Just let out all that rage yeah, but built up over she, the year. She Don't loved worry, it. It's coming. <laughs> she loved it and how her mother used to spend days cleaning all the, um, you know, the pieces you use for the sausages and the... The, the lining and all that you know and how that was and then how her father used to blow up the balloon parts mm. and make a football out of it and then eventually the brothers would be fighting so much of it he'd just stab it and that would be the end of it till next year <laughs> so I had a few stabbing. nice visuals and like she's only 30 years older than me and it was funny because when I lived in India 20 years ago I lived in real rural India with no running water no cars no phones and my mother came to visit me and she just she used to sit there and say this is just like North Kerry where I grew up <laughs> Yeah, she loved it. And I, I had been there three months getting over the culture shock and she came in and she was like, oh, home, sweet home, you know. <laughs> and, 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 but that's when I realised I was from a completely different country to my mother. Even though the, she's 75 and I'm 45. There's only 30 years between us. I know I look 30, but anyway. <laughs> and anyway, so it's interesting to hear from her because they, every farm had a haggard, so everyone grew all their basics. Like the carrots, parsnips, onions... Spuds and what's that? Cabbages. That was it. That was it. Five, and we lived off them, and we were all healthy. Now I, it's kind of become obsessive the food thing. Um, uh, for me, like I've never trained as a chef, but I'm really passionate about food, and I'm really passionate about buying as much local food as I can that's not been messed with. So, like in the cafe tea shop, I have we serve food all the time. People always say, "Oh my god, it's so delicious!" And I always say, "I'm not a chef. It's all about the ingredients." I can't make, um, what's that fancy sauce they put on eggs, Benedict? Like a Hollandaise. Hollandaise. I don't know how to make that. I mean, I looked up the other day, but I mean, I don't know any of that stuff. But I, for me, it's all about the origin of the food. And you cannot ask enough questions, no matter who the person is or what the brand is. You know, because before 30 years ago, you didn't have to ask any questions because you just knew who was producing the food. Whereas now it's all about that. And never presume anything. Never presume it's GM free. Never presume it's not made from import occurred. So like my passion for food is the honesty between food. And I used to feel pretentious sometimes when I'd go somewhere and I'd bring food with me. And I'd say, oh, that's from the my community garden and this is from my sister's go farm and I feel like I was kind of bragging but actually a friend of mine was saying it today she's like that's the most important thing to be saying it's not that you're being boastful and you're turning your nose about anything else but it's just like this is educating people and how and like whenever I cook uh, food for my myself and my two children I'm always thinking in my head I wonder how much this costs and you see that when you're just buying a few simple things locally organically or just naturally produced whatever you see that it actually is affordable for people but there's a whole thing about you have to be in the upper class to afford to eat well and it's actually not true and I think what you said there about a few simple things is really important because I think a lot of people blow their shopping budget buying like probably 40% more food than they need in the supermarket like loading up a trolley and going that's a household now for the week instead of actually going like you know buying maybe spending half as much and making it run through a week and I think you're right like if you hold back that little bit on just like loading the house with food that some of which will probably go in the bin you can't afford some organic maybe all is difficult but a lot of organic stuff can be afforded I think if you're just a bit more budget minded and then over to Raymond who told us all about using small suppliers in his restaurant I'm from the South Down coast and grew up on the coastline and I now have a restaurant on the Cav and Meath border. So I'm in the middle of Ireland. 
and uh, it's a small restaurant. It's got 40, 50 seats. I've only owned it now since June. So I've just noticed a, a massive shift with uh, chefs. Like, I don't have any big suppliers. I, I don't even have one. I've yeah. got, um, I was looking at the bank in the other night and they get a bank transfer once a month, you know, to pay them. I'm a partner, she was saying, she's from Dublin. And uh, she was saying, um, oh my God, you've got like 27 suppliers, but like they're all getting four ninety nine each. <laughs> but not not four ninety nine. Yeah. but do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're getting 40, 50 euros, 60 euros. Yeah. And who's Eva Butter? And I yeah. goes, that's, that's the butter woman. That's the bog butter gal, yeah. <laughs> but could you picture somebody from Tarnure like, now living on the south down coast of me, looking at the ocean every night, looking at all my suppliers going, oh, that, that, that's, who's Brendan Carrots? Yeah. I said, this is the first week, so I was saying, listen, do you not get this now? You know, their name and what the product is. Yeah. And she went, Brendan Carrots. well, could you not get all these vegetable people and consolidate them to one payment? And I was going, just keep pushing the button there. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say to you is, uh, the shift with chefs is now that it's turned full circle that we are now um, sourcing the egg person. We're now sorting the cheese person, the butter person, the, the vegetable people. Now, it's a nightmare for accounts, but um, and we buy exactly what we need that week. Mm-hmm. Like I ran out of beef fillet on Saturday at eight, eight o'clock. And That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but my manager's like, he's from Belfast and he just goes, to, <laughs> he's like, Look, this is not on like mate. Do you know what I mean? This is like fucking crazy. Who, who runs it? And I was going, listen, you're better just to sell everything really fresh. And so that's where chefs are now with small restaurants and smaller menus. And now we do tailor-made menus. Um, and it's an all-night affair now. We don't want your table back. You know? That's really nice. Yeah, well, the countryside, I mean, it's so rural. It's an old forge and it's a... It's an old stables and it's there, it is there 20 years, but I mean, it's just so rural that it's word of mouth job. And, uh, but the problem I have as a chef is um, it's getting my younger diners under, say, 26, 25, uh, they just haven't a clue. They just have not got a clue. About I've food. never had venison before, I've okay. never had a pigeon, I've never tasted rabbit. And it's autumn. And I'm all pumpkins, rabbits, pigeons, oh. barley, you know, seasonal food. Yeah. And the managers are trying to explain, but, uh, you know, the way there's corn on the menu, because when you're driving to here, there's 10 fields of corn. Yeah. Um, Everything's very relevant. So all my customers are like 40 plus. Okay, thanks for bearing with that, folks. Um, from that point on, everything actually recorded perfectly, because Ian... Save the day. And so damage control is done. So we're going to switch back over to the live event that happened in the Fumbly Stables as part of ETA and the Dublin Podcast Festival. The technology is completely fixed. All is well. So um, thanks again for your patience. I think Harry's going to kick off with a question for Joe. We're going to have a bit of a discussion uh, and then we'll open up the floor in about 10-15 minutes to questions from the audience so if you have anything in mind keep it there just for now okay um, so Joe talking about the sprawling metropolis that is Dublin and the greater Leinster area and how we have everything available to us at all times I wonder if you think that that has been affecting us negatively having everything with us and available all the time in terms of connecting with food culture no worse than Instagram <laughs> <laughs> no, like, uh, 
But, but but like say from an Instagram perspective, like you could be in you know the belly of Ireland, rural Ireland, uh, not from where uh, raised places, and you might not have you know three Japanese places and a Korean place and a Malaysian place available to you on a Friday night. That actually these things are just pipe dreams. Not pipe dreams. That's like so ridiculous to say. It's two hours away, but um, <laughs> unattainable. No, I, think it's, I think it's great that we've got multiculturalism in Dublin um, and multiculturalism available to us, and foods that are different that are available to us. And the reality is, Dublin isn't that far from anywhere else. Um, it's a bit like if you live in um, Billericay or uh, Romford in England, you have to travel into London to get the same sort of stuff. And that is normal in anywhere that the capital cities tend to have most things because that's just the reality all roads lead to Rome you know in this you, case all but, roads lead to Dublin but I think that your upbringing in you know a more rural part of Leinster in, in the northeast, you talk about those kind of very very real very visceral very kind of connected and then I get back to my car and back to food. Dublin I know but, no, that's, no, but that was the stuff that, yeah, no, that I formed do you now as a, yeah. as a as a restaurateur I do think this in a way a city does consume everything and so that it sucks everything up but I do think we need uh, somewhere like a city to focus people and make things available to us all I, well um, I think we have the same issues everywhere in, in, in Ireland in that we have things that are overly available through supermarkets um, and but that that's a that's a it's a countrywide issue. Just speaking to the um, multiculturalism and you know diversity in Dublin and everything that's going on there with that, I do want to talk to Sinead, well to everyone, but particularly just ask Sinead what she thinks about what's going on in Cork at the moment. Like Cork seems to be just absolutely hopping in terms of the restaurant scene and Munster generally. See, I don't know if everybody spotted this in the last couple of weeks, and like the Michelin star is absolutely not the be all and end all. I wouldn't say for anybody here in this room, but it is a good marker of you know exciting new places and there were three new the Muse, stars Ichigo Ichi and then there was the one place the Chestnut the Chestnut yeah. Yeah. so three it, new yeah. Michelin stars in Ireland this year and all three are no, in Munster yeah, all three in Cork all three in Cork and then uh, one in Listen Bar and a kept it star right can you help us articulate what's driving yes. that what's the energy you know there? what it is we hate them for it but Cork people love themselves and it's <laughs> <laughs> it, but it's fantastic everyone else in Ireland Still not worthy. Yeah. But car people love themselves. And it's great. And it's funny because it's still an insult in car. If you really think some guy is an asshole, you say, he loves himself. Yeah. Or he's weak for himself. But you know, you've got to handle it. They say that. They say that's that it's a big so insult. good. But I, I mean, hats off to the car people, hands down. I mean, they, they were way ahead of Claire and Kerry and anywhere else, I think, in Ireland in getting back to producing food from our wonderful land. Yeah. And now they deserve those Michelin stars. Because so you reckon it's a confidence, it's it, confidence it totally yeah, and, and then just having the, the stuff and, there. And like I yeah. say, we hate them for it. Yeah. But fair play to them, you know. That's a loving hatred I can yeah. hear coming from yeah, me there, lovely. for sure. Yeah. I also think, though, down there, particularly in West Core, that there's been a lot of influence. There's been a lot of people moving in from abroad and living there for years. I mean, they're kind of second, third generation Irish now. But I, I think that really brought in a big influx, particularly making the cheese and things like that down there. It started off a really good food culture yeah. long time before maybe the rest of the country felt it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's great. Like I'm always saying, like, God bless the Dutch and the yeah, English who moved yeah. over because really it got the cheese thing kicking off again. And I'm not saying but there weren't Irish people making it. Megan and Derek Gordon were making the St. Hall before my sister 40 years ago. Um, Cashel Blue M- Malines 45 years ago, Veronica Steele. Actually, the two queens of Irish cheese just passed away last year, Veronica Steele, who okay. started Malines and, and uh, Meg Gordon. But so they, yeah, I don't know. It's great. Anybody comes in with new ideas, whether they're born and bred here or from another country, totally. it's fantastic. Yeah. 
And actually, um, a question for Raymond. We're talking there about like different cultures influencing different cuisines. Um, I suppose, as far as I'm concerned, Ireland's food culture is broadly similar. Mm-hmm. You've done some work uh, on the TV show, The Great British Menu, right? Is there a sort of a, a hybrid cuisine in the north of Ireland that has a bit of British and a bit of Irish? Or how does that work? And like, how have you observed that? And do you use that in your cooking if it exists? Loads uh, of questions for you there now. Yeah, <laughs> I think Belfast would probably have an influence towards London. Mm. And they seen Belfast as a mini London, mm. even though nationalists didn't, right, like myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just wrote that off. But definitely influenced by London. And in the good sense of top-end restaurants. So people from Belfast wouldn't come to Dublin to eat, not because of the religion. Uh. They, would, they, would see, they would see London as the food mark of the world. Mm. Like London is the food capital of Europe, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, the three lads that got Michelin stars in Cork, one's Polish, one's Japanese, and one's Lithuanian. Turkish. Turkish. So they're not even Irish lads. Like third generation Polish, Pops right? He's, he grew up in school. But what yeah. school is. Yeah, yeah, yeah but well, what I mean is, they've what, how they got them stars is because they have the produce around them. Yeah. And they had the skill. Interesting techniques. To put it on yeah. the plate. Yeah. But London is the benchmark and Dublin, I believe in you can be anything you want to be in Dublin. Yeah. But in London, I'd say if you walked down the street naked, they wouldn't look at you. Mm. Sky's the limit. Yeah, sky's the limit. And just speaking again to, I suppose, you kind of referenced the, the division within the community in the north of Ireland. Is there anything that both communities claim as their own? And maybe have different names for or not, because I come across that a lot. I'm very interested in the Middle East, and I, I come across that a lot there. I personally don't think that there is Pacific dishes, okay, linked in the North. I mean that they can claim, yeah. Um, maybe the shellfish is super. You know, maybe there's certain things there um, on the North Coast, but I respect Donegal as a county mm-hmm. more so than Antrim. Okay, Antrim to me is full of just trashy chip shops okay you know it is take that out (laughs) (laughs) well well, it is and what's happening in Donegal in terms of in terms of cuisine and in terms of good produce well Donegal people in Donegal are so rural that they actually have to fight for every euro they earn Mm. so they're going to give you the freshest lobster for 20 euros Whereas Dublin are going to charge, okay, the bin men down here, extortion. Uh, yeah. And the rates and the rent and yeah. the staff and the, you know, but it's horses for courses. Yeah. But you're going to get a lobster, uh, you know, for 20 euros and probably the best lobster you're going to eat in a long time. I want it now. The word lobster just uh, makes me go. Do you know, and you're looking at the ocean. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were down there to play golf there a few months ago and a little fish restaurant opened in the dinings. And he's a friend of mine, Tony. And, we, and he says, you should come up for tea. So we come up for tea. And uh, there was people outside sitting in the footpath, park benches, because he only he only seated tw- like nineteen covers or something, right? And I said, Tony, where, where are you meant to have your tea? I just sit down there in a the footpath there and just put on your knee. Fucking mad man, right? Stunning. And but it was is rammed. There, is there? Any- but they have to fight. They have to fight. Here, it's just like we'll be fully booked tonight. 
Yeah. It, it's, mm. it's blasé. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's completely true. You know, yeah. well, Monday night... Oh, my mates. Fight, fight, fight. It's not true. Monday night in, in Dublin is the same as Monday night in Drimna or wherever, anywhere down the Drimiskin down the country. Monday night's Monday night. People tend to sit in. You know, we do have quiet, quieter nights. Our Tuesday night's the same, you know. Granted, we have Fridays and Saturday nights and we ha- it is busier. But, you know, it's within... No, I went for a beer here a few weeks ago just on a wee track because my woman's a dub and I have to do these things from time to time. Uh, and and she took me around a couple of just a couple of weavy streets and everywhere we went into it was just rammed. And you That's just Tampa Bar, baby. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Temple Bar. It was just like three three times. Yeah, I think you're right. Like Dublin mm. is hopping again. It's, it's, it's got a buzz, it's a big old buzz again. I grew up not knowing much about the North and Ulster, and I, I think it's quite an unusual thing. I mean, I, I think I used to. So, all right, I'm going to that's because you're millennial. This, I'm millennial. <laughs> I'm just plugged in and have a toast. But and also there was this one time I was in Israel, uh, and I was found it really unusual that people had no idea about how far away Palestine was, what was going on. I'm like, don't you know? It's right there. And then when I got home, I was like. I've never been to the north. <laughs> <laughs> so who am I saying? Yeah. So I, w- I wonder, is there um, we is don't, something we, unique? We, we don't get 5% of the tourism that the south of Ireland get. Mm. And it's like, you know, Game of Thrones is up there, the Titanic thing, the the, the causeway, the golf. You've got, like, yeah, I mean, the Open mm-hmm. is being played in Portrush this year for the first time since 1952. I mean, that's bananas. Well, when I, I, I first met my missus three years ago in Dublin, and, well, I met her in my village, but she's never been to the Giant's Causeway, and she's never been to Port Rush, and she's never been to... I was only at the Giant's Causeway. She was only in Donegal for the first mm. time in yeah. two months ago, and I was going, why, why wouldn't you come here? Does it just seem very far away? It's so near. So it's so much nearer than thing. It's, a, cul- it's, a, yeah. it's a cultural yeah. divide. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, it's a border I, that was only made super what, recently. What we which get is, is super effective. Lots yeah, and maybe. lots of Americans and lots of Japanese. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just see them walking around with cameras all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm never that north anymore because mm-hmm. obviously my business in County Meath. Yeah. But you know, if I'm in Belfast for the day or Derry or Donegal or. Ballyliffin or somewhere, somewhere like that. You know, you just see a lot of non-Irish tourists. And are they engaging with the food there? Like, are, no. are okay? No, okay. They're so there basically, for a there's, a, there's a really nice food culture mm. yeah, in the north that we're all missing out on. Do you know yeah. one Book thing about Belfast? Do lo- you know we get loads of it? But you Belfast know. is one third of the price of Dublin. Yeah, I mean, you Absolutely. can have a really good dinner in Belfast yeah. for twenty-five quid. Okay, mm. I've one question for Cleaner. Actually, just speaking about the hardship thing. Um, the relationship with fish in Connacht now, do people relish it? Do they? Do people seek out lobster dinner and <laughs> kind of see oysters as a really nice, luxurious treat? And do people, do you think a lot of people do fish during the week for dinner? Or is there still a, it, it, what's the relationship there? I think we're starting to. Yeah. Um, and, I, and we have been for a long time, but there's maybe a little generational gap. I, I'm, uh, I have no idea why, but I'm of the opinion <laughs> that maybe our parents' generation were given not very not fresh lovely fish, fish. Yeah. you know I yeah. just I have that idea yeah. in my head I'm not really sure where you've it, spoken to and that there was a sort of a Catholic the a sort of penance, penance idea around Friday. fish yeah. Yeah. the Friday yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. it's what you have when you're not having lovely meat yeah when you're, yeah. When you're having to give up the good There's stuff that, you have yeah. to have and fish and then if you go back to what I was talking about earlier as well that mm. was the only food that was there yes. you yeah. know so there's a trauma it was kind of meat probably that was coveted not fish you know 
there's only so many raw oysters you can eat. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Twelve, I think, is what they No, I think that was a lot to do with it. I think, I think, yeah. they, like, so my husband runs Ballinahenge Castle that has a salmon fishery, mm. and there was um, a, a bit in people's contract. I don't know if it was called a contract that they were not allowed to ha- be served the, for the staff. They were not allowed to be served salmon more than five days a week. Oh right Okay Because they were just so fed up That they had to have yeah. something else you know? Okay I mean <laughs> right. can you imagine now Wild salmon coming out of the river Hello You know that that's still there In the back of people's minds And I suppose If if our parents generation Weren't feeding our generation fish Then you're a step away from that A lot of people don't know how to cook it anymore Yeah that's and, true and People are f- quite scared of it Do you yeah. feel Do you feel a change going back towards that That we're becoming more like Well I mean I, mean, I do I love fish I do mm fish all the time and yeah. it's always also a treat when you go out as well yeah, yeah. for some reason yeah. it's special like, you know, yeah. lobster and roundstone kind of where do you buy fresh fish I'd like you know like if we're just using Dublin as an example yeah. we, there used to be two f- fishmongers on Grafton Street mm-hmm. there's no f- no fishmonger in the city centre none yeah. um, but to be honest I drive it's to kind of hard to buy fresh fish, fish anywhere. out in Connemara now but because it all gets Kish. shortened it's it's somewhere else yeah. it's, it's, it's all in the wholesalers Kish is only better but yeah. normally if you have to go out if you have to or off to Hoth or up to Carhead Fairview yeah, the right rights in Fairview, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They're Thanks, still there, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Phew. Is there no fish shop? And Clara's still in Munster, so no, we're all yeah. going to know. <laughs> the supermarket, the, some supermarkets have counters, but it's yeah. really, really limited. But there's yeah. no limited. Uh, or, or you go to the fish counter and it's all the same. Identicate fish counter. Oh, totally. And you're yeah. like, where's all this stuff coming from? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's great to see um, people like Niles Bongi at the moment with his sustainable Claw. seafood Ireland and Claw and, um, you know, his island nation thing. And trying to bring back, and my, Michael's, the lads at Michael's in Mount Marion. Um, but, and these are Dublin centre places. But they're trying to bring in, you know, small day boats going out. Yeah. You know, we've some of the best lobster in the country here in uh, Leinster. Uh, just grown there off our head. We've got those beautiful blue lobsters there that you can go. really only get <laughs> in uh, Leinster. He loves himself. <laughs> He's weak from uh, himself. Weak from himself. Yeah. You know, it is it's mad that you can't buy loads of, loads of seafood in Ireland. And the seafood that we do get is really, really limited. A lot of our seafood, particularly crab they've got loads of spider crab and everything and velvet crab gets shipped straight Straight. off to France I used to work in a restaurant in San Sebastian and uh, we bragged about all of our fish coming from Ireland and all the shellfish so we had these they were like these blue lobsters have you seen these lobsters these are blue and I was like that's the colour of a lobster yeah Yeah. that's what they (laughs) look like like, it's the stone underneath it's to do with the um, the seabed the blue lobsters. Oh, that they mimic. It's only in certain spots. You only get no you only get them in certain spots. No way. The seabed underneath. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you get them like in front of Clarehead and you get them out at the side, at the side side of Dublin. There's only mm. perfect little. They're all blue in Connemara. Yeah. They're No, they're blue, blue like they're super blue lobsters. Yeah, they're, they're delicious. They are delicious. Not like you know you go to Spain and you get dogfish everywhere. You used to get it in every chipper in the country. Yeah. Do you know get dogfish? Now you can get you're like can you eat dogfish? They're like what's that? <laughs> yeah. so the fish comes in frozen, ready. Like yeah. go to a chipper. It's just the demand. Find a chipper with fresh fish. The the demand isn't there in it, the demand is in the restaurants public though. Demand's like, not there. Yeah, but, mm. I think, but uh, there are fish restaurants opening all out. Well, there's, there? I can think of four, like the two little fish shops right, yeah, and the, the claw two, yeah, guys and, claw. and there every is, restaurant has. It is. It is still more niche. There's a lot of people yeah, who, will, okay. who will be. Oh, I eat everything except fish. Yeah, still and whenever I sell mussels next door, actually. Yeah. It's, it's a hard sell And there was Martin Shannon And I do real nice muscles Martin everyone. Shannon was always great that. When he went in RT Martin Shannon of uh, Munster um, <laughs> <laughs> Fishy Fishy Cafe um, His big thing was No skin, no bone, no fear Gone 
Yeah. That was his little tagline, which is like, you just get rid of the skin, you get rid of the bones, and then that's good. And he was like really, really good at that's teaching people about I that like that it. was it. Just get rid of those scary bits, and then it's fine. But he was totally addressing people just freaking out around fish. Yeah, and mm. facilitating... Fussy I know, we still have a big culture of cooking fish in Clare. I don't. Okay. I don't know anybody who has any fear with cooking fish. Like uh, maybe because we were, we you can still. There's a few places I can think of top of my head where you can go and buy fresh fish, like Lanans behind Lanans on the weir there, mm. and um, in Doolan Harbour and in Liscanner. It's just if you look for it and ask the right questions and find the people and go to the bother of getting it and of not getting be able to put in your supermarket. Yeah. But you can go and get your good lobster and crab out of the fresh tank behind the pub. Or down beside the pier in Doolin, yeah. or no, that. the one fisherman yeah. who's in the scanner, and have his number and say, "Give me a ring when you have some stuff. Yeah. I'll buy a creative claws off you, or whatever it is." So, I'll take uh, so your freezer. Yeah. even though Leinster is better at everything else, yeah. obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, we still have fish is big, and mussels are on every restaurant, whether it's cheap restaurant or a high class mm. restaurant. Mussels are big, like yeah. Mm. Well, I think I, I think the attitude is still in Ireland, and we've worked it out that if you don't have meat eating in a restaurant you don't feel you're being fed yeah and I think that's going back a couple of generations yeah now I was reared on the coast and I remember my dad coming in he's reading the newspaper you weren't allowed to talk to him he's eating a big bowl of mussels yeah oh, and that big. was 78 or something yeah. 79 or something you know and I used to go give me one give me one you know that was normal mm. but I'd say if my dad went to a restaurant oh it'd be a stick yeah. Oh, be a piece of lamb, or be it wouldn't. Oh, I eat peasant fish at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I think somebody don't said feel, to me the other day, like they don't feel fed. Yeah. That it, if va- they don't people, have, they I only feel like they value if they have meat. Fish yeah. starter, meat main course. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think that's a rigid format that we're loosening up to the. Slowly though. The slowly. Oh God, it's very slow. Yeah. So we uh, last year uh, I did the with relish uh, with Harry, and And I was there too. (laughs) 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 He's going to have no friends. Welcome to with Harry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Harry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> anyway, we did the thing. Anyway, we, we, we were talking about, they were talking about going over in a restaurant that was not based around selling meat. And I was like, that's sort of gas. I'm going to do, I'm sort of working on that now at the moment. And we have opened a restaurant. No, we still sell meat. It's on the menu, but it's at the bottom of the menu. We it's all veg, folks. It's, it's, it's hey Donna Donna. in Rathmines. Yeah, and I'm opening another one now in two weeks' time. I know. Um, here in Dame Street. Yeah. It's going to be huge. Mm. Uh, but no, it is definitely, I do think people are changing and Changing culture, yeah. Like we, there is no reliance in Ireland on meat. We need to stop making meat, growing meat. We need mm. to stop using all our land for uh, beef. It is a total over reliance. We need to stop going to the supermarket and buying meat or cheap meat. We need to be buying better meat. But you know, it's it's great to see people changing. Two change but it is very slow. But I, and I often think people are changing. You, here you see it totally. But I mean, like it can you can feel positive, and we can look around and we can see change. And we can see like apparent change. But we live and run in really small circles. And yeah. we forget mm. that 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 we are. In, I think we do more injustice to meat than fish in Ireland. You know that. I had a, a Tibetan chef living with me a couple of years ago, and he'd go and buy meat for the dinner. He'd buy about a fifth of the meat that mm. I would buy. Mm. Literally, I'm mm. not embarrassed to say it. Mm. Meat and, is seasoning, and, and yeah. The, yeah. the dish would be ten times. Now he was a chef as well, but still, yeah. I, it really made me think. And he was also blown away because where he was from, the our cheapest cuts were the most expensive cuts, and his yeah. he was delighted to be able to buy. <laughs> Oh, the cheap, like Hawks he could afford to buy the everything, all yeah. the kidneys yeah. and livers and yeah. all the bits. And he was, and some of it even free. Like he was like, this is mental. But yeah. I don't say that. <laughs> he just gave me the loans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
we're going to open up a few questions to the floor now. Um, anybody who has some questions, you better have some ready. Um, and I think the way we're going to do it is that Harry will just come down to meet you with the mic. And if you are right in the middle of a row, you might just lean across, take the mic, ask yeah. your question, hand it back to him and make sure you address it to somebody unless it's a very broad question to the room. Is that all right? Yeah. So hands up if you want to ask a little question. anybody got a nice question? There we go, over here. here. Yeah, I'm going to come and walk in. Hi, um, it's been really enjoyable listening to you all, but I just thought of a question there. I'm really intrigued to know about how you all deal with your food waste, actually, or what is left over from your produce. Obviously, you're each coming from slightly different angles and, and businesses, but I'm just interested to know that. Thank you very much. Uh, food waste, will we start with Joe? For us, has isn't it really big problem because we... Uh, our restaurants are designed that we buy it, we cook it, we sell it. You know, we don't really um, break things down too much. But recently we've been trying to figure out we are we are creating food waste. One at the end of the meal because people don't eat everything. So we're reducing our portion sizes. Um, but it's the beforehand stuff. And for us, sometimes we can't use everything in our ingredients. So we're trying to figure out how we, we're, we're working at the moment is making soups and sauces that we can gift to charities, especially the one with the Dublin Thousand Crisis. Um, so we have a central production kitchen uh, where we make everything. So we're trying to do it there at the moment. And it's just actually to make stuff taste decent. That is actually, our taste generic, actually, because yeah. to, to get yeah. to someone who's on, living on a street or on a bridge and you're going, oh, here, we've got, this is a toasted cumin and cauliflower yeah. leaf soup. They're going to go, yeah, get the boat. Uh, but it needs to be tasted that's nutritious and healthy. So that's what we're doing with most of our food waste. But we don't have any meat food waste or fish food waste. Ours is just vegetable based. Um, mm. And everything and that's bread and all that goes straight back into the restaurants and screw tots. Yeah. Mm. And yourself, Kleena, how do you deal with waste? Well, I'm not working in a restaurant at the moment. When I was, last was um, in Delphi Lodge where we all had, everyone sat down at one big long table and had one thing. So there really wasn't a huge amount of, of, um, of food waste in that. The menu changed every night, obviously, but you knew how many you were going to have for dinner. So at home, we have pigs. Mm. Um, we have I, I rarely even compost a lot of it because it goes straight to the pigs actually great um, so that's the majority of mm. it but you know and Sinead would you have a home for the whey in your in cheese making well the whey gets put out on the land okay we used to feed it to the goats mm-hmm. but then the um, health authority stopped us from doing that so now it gets put on the land so it is it is really good for the land yeah. obviously we used to keep the same starter as well you know a live starter like you would with the sourdough or something like that and not allowed to do that anymore either okay Oh and, really? And Raymond, yeah. I know that you're working on a like. I mean, you you saw our crate of lemons earlier on. I nearly freaked out about the amount of lemons that were there. <laughs> I wonder yeah. how, how do you how do you manage this? This is really waste? weird. I was fighting with my bin man this morning, mm. and uh, I rang Panda, I rang Oxygen, I rang Allied, and I said I want you three to come up with a better price. This is horrendous. Hundred euros a week for a small restaurant. Uh, all our plate, all our food that comes back from customers, slops go to a pig man, and then I've got blue recycling and I've got a normal bin you know for but all our cauliflower tops and all our vegetable trimmings that you're not using it uh, goes to the pig man and I'm thinking uh, how did you come up with that price this morning how did you whip 100 euros out of my account do you know because my phone dings every time somebody withdraws something right and he's like laughing on the phone at my accent or something and I go <laughs> <laughs> right I don't think you're taking me serious here you know so and I know, yeah, from our experience in the Fumbly... It's crazy money. Yeah, it is crazy. From Like, we in the Fumbly have got, like, so much variety of stuff coming in and out of here. We've got a menu that changes daily, so it is difficult for us to keep on top of that waste. We 
pickle a lot of things. Yeah, we can pickle that. <laughs> we can pickle that. That's, we can uh, pickle that that's too. A, that's a phrase pickle we can all. sometimes. <laughs> just, just pickle that end of that celeriac. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do a lot of pickling and then we do a lot of, like, because our style has changed, so everything finds a home. We we would work on a monthly um, guideline um, and you'd have your salads and everything there, but that's just a guideline. Everything is there to be to be suggested and played around with. So if there was some, yeah. there's a dinner on tonight, say, and so there's seven dishes on there, he'll sell out of most of them but one of them might find its home tomorrow in a salad or that'll be things yeah. so there'll always be notes left from It'll one get a person makeover. to the next in order to find homes for everything uh, and so that nothing goes yeah. in the bin because otherwise we get in loads of trouble and no also it's we because we it. care yeah, no it is like, that's part of it but also it's the fear of being in trouble <laughs> <laughs> sorry mom um, does anybody else have a question from the floor that we can help you out with Hello, hello. Hello, thank you all for uh, your insight tonight. It's been really interesting. I work in healthcare in Dublin North Inner City, um, and it's a very interesting area. A lot of things I would give would be trying to give dietary advice, and it's really interesting to see how a huge proportion of Irish people, even in Dublin City, have really no insight into what's important and what they eat. And I think it was actually during one of the many storms this year where there was no bread and the number of Irish people who actually don't know how to make bread. So I'm just kind of wondering where do we go from here? Because as Harry was saying, like we do, you know, like we're kind of living in an echo chamber, I suppose, in here. So it's how do we kind of make this known to the greater Irish public about what they have right on their doorstep? Yes. <laughs> uh, your, your question is how do we get more than the already converted? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great. My favourite topic. I yeah. swear to God. Yeah. I went to Food on the Edge, which is a great initiative by um, uh, JP McMahon. But I mean, anyone who was there already knows the whole story, farm to fork, all that, you know, and natural food. So, yeah, that's a big thing, a big beef of mine. I was just talking about it today in my shop with somebody. I mean, there is no easy answer. The obvious answer is education. And someone, of course, straight away said, oh, the school should do it. And I was like, Jesus Christ almighty, why is it always back to the teachers in the schools? No, no, no. It's up to affordability, free courses. I mean, there is funding for absolutely anything you can throw your hat at. So if you want, like, so we're hoping down, because there's a basement in my shop, that we'll have training courses that are really affordable or even free if we can get someone to fund it. And I think that's that's the challenge, really, because like my, my whole thing is to show how it's really affordable for anyone on any budget to eat well and healthily. And I think that's really important thing. And I'm hoping to be able to do something practical about it myself. But I think that's what it is. It's providing family friendly courses or training or programs or interactive things for people who don't have a clue about food, who don't have the money, who don't buy organic, who don't go to the uh, farmer's market or anything like that because that's just for yuppies. Mm. You get them involved somehow, whether you call it a family fun day and then in the middle of it you, you have a cooking demonstration or a cooking experience and that's what you do. You hijack them into thinking it's not a food event you're and then it's a food event because that's the only way because I like this. And family friendly. Yeah. You're totally right and there's a lot of goodwill I find around initiatives like that. I worked on a programme in Sean McDermott Street which is a fairly low income part of uh, the north inner city at a community centre and taught a cooking class there for about a year and a half. Um, And we had a budget. I had a budget for food. It wasn't a problem but I just thought like okay Dublin City Council's spending X amount but let's see what suppliers say. And I called up some small businesses and just said can you give us like you know, kilo spuds, kilo carrots, a couple of onions a week. They're like, yeah. Do you want us to deliver them? You know, like just sure thing. I rang up an egg company. They said, yeah, when will we deliver? Like they were just so generous, Mm. totally free. Like it was only ever going to be for eight Mm. people. Yeah, I know. So it's not like I was asking them to run down their produce for the week, but the the will is out there. And I think you're totally right. If you just ask people for official channels for funding or 
you know, local businesses, they'll be delighted to do something like this. They'll put it in their newsletter. It can you know, be really scary, though, for somebody who doesn't know, I think. For somebody who doesn't know these things, these are a whole bunch of skills that you've grown up without. And so the thing is to make it, I, this is just me buttoning in, to make it really accessible and to take away that shame that somebody has for not knowing how to make bread. Because mm-hmm. bread's tricky. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is. And, oh my and God, forget about bread. I had a transition year student in for work experience last year, right? I, he did not know how to peel a carrot. And I realised there's 10 steps to peeling a carrot yeah. after teaching him. And and even even brushing the floor, it, he didn't know you had to, like he didn't have the thing to gather it up. And he was doing home ec in yeah. college, in school. And I said, so what did you make last week, the last time you cooked? And he said, we made lasagna. And I said, how did you make the sauce? We bought it in the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. So our government, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> seriously, so That's it's, not it's, it's not gonna, no more than the Irish language. It's not going to be saved through the education system. Our yeah. government, it's not a priority. I made um, so forget about the twenty programs a couple of years ago um, for parents and children to watch together, where they were just short programs, just about seven minutes long, mainly really to watch online, um, where. I went out with my kids to find food, be it at a farm or out with fishermen or picking mushrooms or whatever. And we'd bring it back and, and, and cook it ourselves. Um, and it was great. We had a great time doing it. It was not sustainable to keep going with it, unfortunately. But um, but I, I kind of thought that maybe the kids would identify with, the, with our kids mm-hmm. and go, whoa, that's cool. Maybe we could do that, which they did. And that really worked. But a little part of it, not for everybody, was that the parents did not want to watch it with the kids they would put yeah. the kids down in front of it whereas it was something for them to do together you know for mm. all sorts of reasons but I feel, um, I feel even in many ways it, you know? we're a generation or two too late at the moment uh, it's not mm. we're not it's not um, doomed or anything we can bring it back but we can talk about the kids I'm working in a school at the moment and we're doing we're doing food there and we're trying to do to bring in like food education and ideas around food and primary and or secondary it's secondary school yeah. um, so they're between 12 and 18 and so we can we can do as much as we want with the, with the kids and talk to them and get them discussing food and around it but unless that same support is coming at home as well then it's it's, you, you're, you're only you're only just scraping the surface when there's a yeah. whole culture to build up around it as I, well I don't know but what parent if a kid comes home and says can I get some jalapeno peppers and some feta isn't going to say god damn right you can if you're going to cook dinner you know what I mean I think you'd hope if you can yeah. get the, I you mean, would hope you know yeah. even if it's the cheap whatever yeah. it's still a good step I mean yeah, yeah. but that's an external program that you're doing mm. in the school is it I wonder that if you've got funding for or something is it or uh, what is that no we, so the Fumbly have taken over the our local school's um, canteen and we're giving it a go and yes. so we're in there and we're trying to rinse these girls for vegetables ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great, the plan great, great. at the moment so, I, yeah. I, I think where Ireland has gone to that we're in a very expensive country Absolutely. and I think the parents have to work longer and harder yeah. Yeah. and when they get home at night it'll be crispy pancakes and a couple of boiled spuds yeah because that's what they have time for. They're absolutely eyeballs. I think you're spot on because there's a lot of judgment around parents. Because I do these uh, well. cookery and demos and say, what do you cook your kids? Oh, whatever the fuck, sir, you know what I mean? Yeah. They couldn't care less. And I said, why do you want all these kids? And they go... <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you have the bleeding kids? No, but like, if you, you, you're you just like, they're there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, oh, he's over there and she's downstairs. I do agree with you, though. It's not... It's not I think it's him and she. I had a conversation with somebody earlier today where I felt like it was a very judgmental 
attitude this person had yeah. to her. She said, I look in people's supermarket trolleys and I'm just appalled. And I'm like, you have a nice life. Maybe yeah. the trolleys yeah. you're looking at they belong to people who aren't yeah, having I, as easy a time as you are. Maybe they're working what a couple I of jobs. What I see is and the, the, the ladies that are cooking at home, mm. the guy is making 140 grand a year. Mm. So she's got a nice mark in the driveway and she's going down to town and she's buying nice and she's going to cook the nice dinner for the boy coming home. Because she's got nothing else to do when you go to the gym and make the dinner. That's a that's a really old, right? antiquated oh. view of the world. Holy man, it's actually true. Guys, we're gonna take another question from okay, yeah. the uh, gen- genuinely. Yeah. We have to keep moving on time. There, this woman at the back, uh, and can we just ask you to direct your question to somebody if that works? Uh, okay, it's kind of a generic question, I guess. But um, no worries. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> anyone could take it. Um, do you think that? Um, we're in fear of losing uh, seasonality and also regionality with Irish food, especially when you can, everything in Ireland is local to a certain extent. And a lot of people I see on a lot of menus in restaurants and chefs using the same ingredients from a lot of the same best producers. Um, and that we need to encourage people to, you know, use really more local, but then also, and the other, the seasonal is that we can get vegetables all year round. Um, from the likes of Irish producers like Keelings. So do you think there's a, a, a fear of losing that? We can direct that to Joe. Joe, I, uh, I think it's a two-part question because in, in restaurants, the reality is you have to be consistent and you have to produce the same thing all the time. Um, but there definitely is seasonality in Ireland. Uh, and it's more so, you know, you were talking about corn earlier. Jeez, most people didn't, corn used to come in a freezer bag up to a couple of years ago. Now you get husks of corn, you know, we are becoming more seasonal. We now, have, uh, if you go to every supermarket in the country, you get Irish pumpkins. Um, most people didn't grow up with the pumpkin, you know, mm-hmm. we are becoming way more seasonal. Whether we're becoming regional, there is, uh, I, I think as more and more of the businesses that provide food service, be it supermarkets or food service to restaurants, they're getting small brands out to us. Um, you know, they're, they're making uh, the leap to get people, uh, small brands, to bigger markets and that really has to happen to make things viable and um, you know it's great if uh, you're making kefir down your back garden and you'd love to be selling to the local shop but if you only have the capacity to make it to the local shop then it is super regional and you know hyper local but um, for me for restaurants it has to be um, accessible and repeatable and consistent so Yes, I think that we are definitely becoming seasonal, and that's great. Um, but equally, you can buy strawberries all year round. Yeah, but but that's your choice. You know, whether you do that. Yeah, you know, and it that's goes back to making. Bread. And it's whether you want to have nice strawberries or crap strawberries as well. Like you can, yeah, you yeah. can you can engage with good tomatoes and good strawberries, and maybe lose the taste for the rubbish that you can yeah. get in December. Then, but on yeah. the regional aspect, we are only well, maybe two to three hours apart from nearly everywhere, and yeah. not quite everywhere. Yeah. I realise that. So, like, they're the people that are selling food locally in the States or locally in England a lot of the time yeah. means two hours away. Yeah. So really we are very regional no matter where we are. And mm-hmm. I, I know there are specific things and it is lovely to have a specific thing from a specific place when you're there. But we're really not that very far away from, from anywhere to, to be able to say it is fairly local produce. Well. I yeah. think that um, sums up very nicely what this was about which was the four rep- representatives in the four provinces getting together and talking about that and saying that like we're not far away from another our food cultures aren't so yeah. vastly different from one another um, just because a person's from this time and a person's from Slane doesn't mean that they can't be best friends forever <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful Harry yeah. Okay. Yeah. guys I want to say thank you so much to our guests 
Yeah. What a panel of interesting people we've had this yeah. evening. It's been totally fabulous. Best of luck with your new ventures, Joe. Mm. Raymond, can please everybody go up to Raymond's restaurant because it sounds fabulous. You mentioned rabbit and barley and something else and I was Pigeon. salivating. Pigeon <laughs> yeah. and yeah. pumpkin, was yeah. it? And I'm just like, that sounds like the nicest autumnal mm. menu I've heard of in a while. So I think we should all, like all of us just get into yeah. a big car and go yeah. up. And make a trip to Ennis Diamond because the cheese press along the, with Little yeah. Fox and... Um, Ennis Diamond's hopping. Hop and yeah. What's it, it called? Is, Pat yeah. Duggan's. Pat Duggan's. Yeah, yeah absolutely hopping with and gorgeous food. And I have to say, Sinead, I was particularly inspired by your ideas around how to like spread the good word about good food. Mm-hmm. You've got some really, really sharp, cool ideas. So mm-hmm. I hope people listen yeah. and act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kleena Prendergast, absolutely fabulous insights from um, Connemara and from... A beautiful reading Connacht. as well. Which yeah, your reading is like... <laughs> started off the tone So great. evocative. Yeah. Yeah. How butter that became was, salted. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now and, we know. And thank you all for coming tonight and being so patient with our technical difficulties. Um, it's great to have you. It's really nice to see your support. And um, tell your friends to listen to it on wherever they get their podcasts from. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you for listening into this episode of With Relish. We would like to thank all our guests for taking time out to come on with us. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are a fortnightly podcast, so make sure to check out headstuff.org for our next show. You can download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the usuals. If you like what you've heard, please let us know by writing us a review or following our Twitter page at With Relish Pod. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.